We're going through the book of Daniel in this series called God's Vessel. And one key word for this series is the word exile. Daniel has been exiled from his home. He's been displaced from the city of God into the pagan city of Babylon. And just like him, Christians today also find themselves out of place trying to serve God inside a culture that serves something else. So we're not at home in this world. We are exiles. The challenges that Daniel faced is also ours today. At times, we're going to have to be different. We're going to have to go against the grain of the culture. And so courage is absolutely necessary. Everyone needs more courage. Life as it is, is already hard enough. To face those fears and overcome those difficulties, you need courage. And to add another layer of being faithful to the end, you need a courage to face lions. Daniel is thrown to real lions because of his faith, and you've probably heard of this story. Let me read to you parts of this account and see for yourself the kind of courage we need. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the kings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. 
Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel is the kind of person that we all want to become. He's lived a long and difficult life, but he had the courage to stay true to God even to the end. Can you imagine how different your life would be if you had that kind of courage? It's possible. So let's look at Daniel's courage and learn how to get ours. And I'd like to talk about three things about courage today. First of all, why courage is needed, then where courage is forged, and when courage is tested. So why it's needed, where it's forged, and when it's tested. So first of all, why is courage needed? In the last few weeks, we've been saying that Christians belong to God, so we don't completely fit into society anymore. And Daniel is a perfect example of what that means for us, and that is there's always going to be a tension of how people feel about us. There's love, but there's hate. There's attraction, but there's rejection. See, on the one hand, there's going to be some attraction when we're trying to be faithful. Notice how distressed the king was when he found out Daniel was in trouble. He couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep, he couldn't even distract himself. Why is he so concerned? Because Daniel was a powerful force for good in the community. He was incorruptible. Try to imagine an ideal public servant that you want to elect into the government. That was Daniel. It also says the king wanted to promote him, which means Daniel was also highly effective in his service to the community. And just like Daniel, when Christians love their neighbors and their enemies the way God told us to do, we also become like Daniels to our community. We become powerful forces of good. When the church is at her best, we become like salt scattered all over society, making things better for everyone, serving everyone in the community. And so that faithfulness to serve them attracts some people to us and to our God. But on the other hand, we need to recognize that there's also going to be some level of rejection, and it's unavoidable. 
And listen, I know there are some good reasons why people might not like the church, and we have to listen humbly. We have to take them seriously and repent when necessary. But that's not all. There's something more to it than that. The fact is, there's always going to be some degree of rejection when we're simply trying to be Christians. Notice how upset the officials were with Daniel. It says that they tried to find some grounds against him. And at first it was just jealousy, but then it became something more. When they got together, they must have talked with each other. They must have said, let's find some dirt on this guy. Surely, Daniel must have some corruption, some negligence, just like us. Everyone has some dirt. Everyone does. But they found nothing. And all they discovered was Daniel was not like them. And then what happened? They didn't say, oh, well, this guy deserves a promotion. No, they became more bitter. They started to scheme how to trap this man. They became more bitter because Daniel was not just getting ahead. He's different. He's not one of us. He doesn't think or act like us. He's not one of us. In fact, what they discovered was, even though Daniel was in Babylon, he was praying to Jerusalem, to the city of God. He was here, but his heart was there. He had a different hope. He had a different home. That's why, notice, look carefully, how do they talk about Daniel? When they talk to the king, they said, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he's not one of us. He pays no attention to you. And notice, Back in chapter 3, that's how other people also talked about Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, these guys, they pay no attention to you. And even today, that's how people feel about Christians. See, people in this world think, here's what we pay attention to. Here's what we value. We pay attention to the money because that's our wealth. We pay attention to how people look at us because that's our glory. We pay attention to our comfort and our pleasure because that's our reward. In other words, this world is our home. This is our hope. This is what we have. Well, Christians say, yes, I value those too, but it's nothing compared to what I have in God. My real wealth, my real glory, my real reward is in Him. My hope and my home is not in this world, it's in God. He is my hope and my home. He is who I pay attention to. And therefore, the more we try to be faithful, the more we try to seek God, the stranger and more different we become to people outside the church. And therefore, there's always going to be some level of difference. There's always going to be some level of rejection. There's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be conflicting priorities and policies, and some people are going to get upset with us. They won't like what we say. They'll get offended by what we believe, but that's what it means to be God's people in exile. So being faithful in exile means that on the one hand, some people are going to be attracted by us, but some people are going to reject us. You know, for many of us, 
inside the church, nobody's really attracted and nobody's really, nobody's really upset with us. You know, we're not a powerful force for good in the community. We, we're just nice people. We blend in. There's no salt, no light, no heat, no spiritual power. Why? Because we're intimidated. We're afraid and we lack courage. God calls us not to be intimidated, but to face that tension, not compromising, not surrendering to ease some of that pressure, not retreating to our own little church world. No, no, no. God calls us to serve the community, to serve them just like Daniel did, to serve them even in places where it's unfashionable to be Christian, to serve people even if they're unfriendly to our faith. And for that, we need courage. God calls us to shine the light of Jesus where it is darkest, to stand true when no one stands with us, to stay true to Him when it is most difficult to do so. And for that, we need courage to face lions. So how then, number two, can we forge that courage? Where can we find that? Where can we build that spiritual courage? Now, there's two things that we can learn from Daniel, where he got his courage. Courage is forged through clarity and consistency. First of all, you forge courage through clarity. See, it says there, Daniel learned about the decree. So he knew about this. He knew that his enemies were planning a trap for him. He looked at that. He understood that. He was not ignorant, and yet he faced it head on. You know, many people in this world today try to cope with their fears and try to find some kind of courage by closing their eyes to reality. They say, don't think too much about it. Distract yourself. Think of happy places. But that's not courage. You're just trying to escape reality. And sooner or later, reality is going to overtake you. And when that happens, you won't have the courage you need to face it well. Well, What does Daniel do? Daniel looks at the dangers. He looks at the lions, but then he fixes his gaze on the throne of God. See, Daniel's not closing his eyes. He's not distracting himself from the danger. He's not being ignorant. He's opening his eyes wider to see clearer. And the way to gain courage to face your lions is not to close your eyes. It's not to blur your thoughts. It's to think even more fiercely until you gain clarity. See, there's a great place where C.S. Lewis illustrates this principle. He says, suppose you need to go for a surgery. And so you're, you, you're afraid, so you want to find a good doctor. So you try to search for a good doctor, and you consult other people, and you, they tell you about this doctor. They say, oh, she's good. She can get the job done. Don't worry. And so what you're doing there is you're thinking fiercely. You're trying to think fiercely about this doctor so that you gain the confidence you need to go through the surgery, right? And so you pluck up the courage, you set an appointment, and on the day you go to the doctor, and as you lie on the operating table, suddenly, panic sets in, and fear overwhelms you, and you call the whole thing off and you go home. What happened? 
Was it because you started to think more? No. It's because you stopped thinking. You stopped thinking about the reports, the testimonies, the, the accounts of how good this doctor is, and that's why you surrendered to your fear. You forgot about how good the doctor is. See, the way to gain courage is not to numb yourself. It's not to distract yourself. It's to think, think, think even more fiercely about God and how He's involved in your situation. So if you're afraid about pain and suffering, illness and death and loss of loved ones, the answer is not to distract yourself from that reality. The way to face those with confidence is to think fiercely about the God who holds all of your life and how He is involved in your situation. If you're afraid of people ridiculing you for your faith, of being shamed, of being ostracized because of your faith, if you're afraid of, of losing things for God, then the way to face it with courage is to think even more fiercely about God until He is clear in your mind and warm in your hearts. Then you will find your courage. That's what you need. You need to have a clear sight of God because courage is simply faith with clear vision of who God is and what He will do. That's what courage is. You need clarity. And secondly, you need consistency. See, it says there, Daniel learned a decree and immediately, and here's the amazing thing, immediately he starts praying. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't hide himself for a few days to, to prepare himself to die. No, immediately he prays. How can a man be so brave, be so prepared to die for his God without any hesitations? And the secret is consistency. Here is Daniel's open secret. It says he prayed just as he had done before. That means before all this happened, before his enemies were planning to trap him, Daniel already had a highly disciplined prayer routine integrated into his life. Three times a day, he would stop whatever he was doing, he would go to his prayer spot, he would kneel, he would pray, he would put himself in God's presence. Now, you have to understand, Dale's not a young man here anymore. He's well over eight years old. That probably means he's already been praying like this for decades now. And that was his secret. That consistency of being in God's presence gave him the clarity he needed to have the courage to stand for his God. You know, we like to think that courage is defined in the big moments. We like to think that courage happens in the flashes of great danger over, against overwhelming odds. And yes, those big moments are certainly inspiring and powerful and they're important. But it would be a big mistake to overlook the fact that Underneath that courage is the hidden foundation that makes all of that possible. Underneath extraordinary courage lies the hours upon hours upon days upon years of consistently being in God's presence. Before Daniel faced the lions, 
he spent decades in daily prayer. Before Abraham faced God's greatest test with Isaac, he spent decades waiting on God's promise for Isaac. You know, before David faced Goliath, he spent years as a shepherd relying on God's strength to fight off wild animals. And the examples go on and on. The point is clear. Extraordinary courage is forged in the ordinary days. See, some of you feel in this quarantine that life has become too unremarkable. Nothing's really happening. It's become boring. It's monotonous. And, 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 and you feel stuck at life. But these are exactly the ordinary unremarkable days where God forges extraordinary courage into his people. These are exactly the ordinary days where you ought to insist on going again and again into God's presence. These are exactly the ordinary days where you ought to firm up your spiritual life in terms of volume and quality. Think about it like this. Courage is like a mountain built from scratch by simply adding one rock at a time. Every day, you pick up a rock of prayer, a rock of scriptures, a rock of fellowship, a rock of praise, and you add it to the pile in your heart. Every single day, you do this. And sure, one day goes by, one year goes by, and, it, and it's just a small pile. It feels like nothing's really happening. And sometimes, you still might crumble to fear, but keep going because the key is consistency. Just get back up, pick up another rock, and add it to the pile. And sooner or later, over time, what happens is you find yourself doing things and saying things that you never thought you would be brave enough to do. You're no longer as afraid. You're no longer as paralyzed as you were last year. And sure, you may still feel afraid, but those fears seem a little less big. They seem a little less intimidating now because you've been constantly on heaven's throne. Therefore, nothing on earth seems as intimidating as it used to be. See, that's the key. The key is consistency in God's presence because consistency is what gives you clarity and clarity is what you need for courage to face the lions of this world. That's how you can forge courage and see what can happen if you forge that courage. When courage is tested, what happens? Here's what you can expect. Look at how King Darius progresses throughout the story as he sees Daniel's courage. At first, the king looks at Daniel and he says, May your God, Daniel. You know what that means? That means... The king has already seen Daniel serve God. He's seen Daniel pray to God. He's heard Daniel talk about God to him. So he's aware about Daniel's God, but he's never really taken God seriously. He's never really thought about God at all. He's your God. He's not, he's just your God, right? But then notice what happens. The moment Daniel gets tested to the extreme, but then Daniel faces it with courage and grace. What happens to the king? It starts a process in him where he ends in worship. 
He starts to say that your God is the living God. And eventually, he makes that living God his God. See, what happens here? What, what happened here to the king? Here's what's happening. See, Christians, when you get tested for your faith, you're put under pressure, you're put under heat for your faith, you're being ridiculed, you're being shamed, you're being left out because of your faith. But when you stand with courage and grace and kindness, here's what happens. You're sending a message to people and you're saying to them that my God is so worth it that I'm willing to risk and lose everything for Him. And that makes people think. Let me put it this way. You've all heard about the recent events at the war in Ukraine, right? And there have been so many stories of courage there. You know, you, you, you see these people, these civilians, who used to be ordinary folks like us, programmers, mothers, artists, businessmen, these people preparing themselves to fight against trained soldiers and tanks and bombs. Incredible courage. And you look at them and you hear them say, you know, I'm fighting for my family. I'm fighting for our way of life. I'm fighting for my country. So you hear, hear them say these things and you, you see their actions. And doesn't that make you think about the worth of those things? about the worth of your family, about the worth of your way of life, it makes you think about those things and see how much they're really worth, how valuable they really are. Their courage is making us think clearer about the worth of these things. And Christians, here's what I want you to know. When you're put under pressure and heat for your faith, but when you stand with courage, Here's what's going to happen. Some people are going to get even more upset with you, just like the officials with Daniel, right? Some people are going to get even more upset, but some people are going to look at you and they're going to wonder and they're going to ask, why won't this guy just bail out? Why is he staying true to his God? Why is he willing to lose it all for God? What's so valuable? What's so worthy about this God? And by God's grace, some of them is going to see God a little bit clearer and see His beauty and glory just like us. That's why Daniel gets thrown into the den. Isn't that interesting? It's very interesting to me. Why does God let Daniel get thrown in? If God planned to save Daniel, why not, you know, stop the decree from being signed? Why not just hide Daniel from the eyes of his enemies? Why let Daniel get thrown in? And it's interesting because just a few chapters back, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they also get thrown into the fiery furnace, just as Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. Why? Why does God do that? And the answer is, because it's in the flames, it's in the danger and the lions and death that's where people see God the clearest. That's where they encounter the living God. That's where people outside are going to see Christians who stand with courage. They're going to see God work. And the people inside, we, when we are in there, 
we're going to encounter God the clearest right there. See, Daniel's friends, you remember in chapter 3, there was a figure, a mysterious figure that looked like the Son of God. And they walked out of that fiery furnace unburned because of that mysterious figure. And now Daniel here also walks out because this angel of God, it says, this angel of God was there with him that shut the mouth of the lions and he comes out unharmed. Now, who is this mysterious heavenly figure? Where, well, there are some debates about who he really is, but at the very least, here's what we can say. This angel points us to somebody else. This mysterious figure points us to the central figure of scriptures and all of history. Because in the New Testament, God also sends a heavenly figure into a place of death, of the den, inside a cave. God sends Jesus to the grave, to the cross, because Jesus goes into our place of death. Because that's the only way so that the flames of hell won't burn us. So he goes into the mouth of the grave to close its mouth forever and bring us out more alive than ever. See, some of us think, you know, sure, these people in the Bible can be that brave because God does these incredible miracles. Well, God says to us now that anyone who trusts in Jesus is going to be as safe as Daniel was in the den. Because God has done the greatest miracle through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's done the greatest miracle so that anyone who trusts in Jesus now will be even safer than Daniel was. Even safer because now we walk out of the grave more alive than ever. No flame of hell shall burn me. No mouth of the grave shall swallow us. Nothing can ultimately harm us. At the end of the day, when all is said and done, nothing, no part of us will be harmed. We're safe as safe can be because Jesus has entered in with us to the place of death. And so we come out unharmed, unburned, unscathed. We're safe because He is not. You know why? Because Jesus is not just like the angel of the Lord. He's also like Daniel. Like Daniel, Jesus knew that his enemies planned to trap him. He knew that his enemies were planning to kill him in the most brutal, vicious way possible. Jesus knew that the death being planned for him was not going to be quick. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be dignified. It's going to be the cross. But unlike Daniel, Jesus knew that if he trusted God, he would not be saved. He would be crushed. Unlike Daniel, Jesus knew that in that place of death, he would not feel God at all. He would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would be alone in that place of death. And yet, he knew all that, and yet... In the greatest act of courage, Jesus did not surrender. He did not bail out. He stayed. He went ahead. He fought for it to the end. 
Why? You look at that courage and you let that courage make you think a little bit clearer. Why? What was so valuable that he would stay? And the answer is you. The book of Hebrews says, Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame for the joy set before him. Now, what was that joy? That joy was you coming home to his arms. Before the cross, leading to the cross all through his life, all these things, these thoughts, these fears wanted to engulf him. Darkness wanted to sweep him away. He, it was tempting him to just surrender, to just escape, to just let us go. But all through it, Jesus was thinking fiercely about you. And that courage born of love made him stay at the cross. Look at that courage and let his courage make you think fiercely about the love of your God and let that bear you to more courage. Let his courage forge courage in you. Do that consistently. Do that with clarity, and His courage will bear courage in you. And you're going to face lions with confidence that God is with us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you may not deliver us out of the den. You might let us go in with the lions. That's part of our faith, Lord. But Father, we pray that you help us find that clarity, find that consistency in our lives of being in your presence so that we might have the courage like Daniel did. Lord, we pray that we might encounter you clearer and that other people might encounter you through our courage, Father. Lord, I thank you. We praise you. Because you did not leave us in our place of death. You sent your Son to be with us so that we might come out safe. Father, many times we do not feel safe. We do not feel brave. But we pray, Lord, that you move our hearts and warm it, Lord, until we see and sense that your love surrounds and protects us. Thank you, Lord. We pray for courage. We pray for courage for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name, our Savior, our protector, who went in with us. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining our online worship. I pray you find your courage in the Lord to face your fears. God bless you.